0: Bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com slash changelog. This is Dmitry Shralyov, and this is Go Time!
1: It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I know it's been a couple of weeks uh, between storms and everything. First, uh, Houston, where our studio is, and then here in Tampa, where Brian and I are, and uh, studio getting moved. Um, but we're getting back on track, and we've got a, a fun show planned today. Uh, today's show, or episode number is 58, and uh, on the show today is myself, Eric St. Martin, uh, Brian Kettleson, Hello! and Carlicia Pinto.
2: No storms in California.
1: <laughs> right. Maybe I should reconsider that West Coast movie. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, our special guest for today is Dimitri uh, Shuryalov. <laughs> I knew I was going to butcher that. Dimitri Shuryalov. Why yeah. am I... See, when I'm trying to say it fast, now I can't say it. Yeah, Dimitri you had it before. Shur- <laughs> I know. I- you try to get that excitement up and say it fast. <laughs> yeah. So Dimitri Shuryalov. Yeah. Yep. Hello, everyone. Better known by his Twitter handle, SureCool.
0: Yep. I'm SureCool on GitHub and Twitter and basically everywhere. It's great to be finally here.
1: Yeah. So, um, for anybody who may not be familiar with uh, you and the work that you do, do you just kind of want to give like a brief rundown about who you are, what you do, kind of like your history in the Go community?
0: Um, sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, as you said, most people probably know me by uh, Shurkul. That's what I use uh, as my username everywhere. Uh, I'm a software engineer. I use Go since 2013 or so. So it's been four years now. And it's no secret, I'm a big fan of Go. I really enjoy using it. So um, these days, I kind of do something slightly unusual. I work full-time on open-source Go code. And... um, Maybe it would make sense for me to kind of go a little bit into my background, how I started. To, that would kind of explain how I got here. Yes. Please do. All right. Well, um, so I got into programming pretty early on, I think around 13 or 14. It's basically as soon as I discovered that you could actually make video games, not just play them. Uh, you could do that by writing code. That, that got me really hooked. And I kind of quickly became very interested. I started to learn more about it and quickly progressed from like Visual Basic to others and ended up with C++. So that was kind of my language of choice for a long period of time, because when you're doing video game development, that's a, you know, one of the better tools. So, uh, the, and I wanted to make video games for a long time, uh, pretty much up until I got to my master's. Uh, I was doing my uh, final project there, and this was a huge project in C++. And I was working on it for many months and you know there was a lot of pressure, there were a lot of deadlines, and I had to do a lot of things very quickly. And I felt you know a lot of frustration at that time because there were so many things that I had to do kind of manually and you know in a very tedious manner. So I was using Visual Studio and for C, it didn't have great refactoring tools. And I was just like doing all these things like if I wanted to rename a variable or a function, I would have to change it in the cpp file and then the header file as well. If I were to move something, it would be a lot of like, manual steps. And you know that kind, of, like, that kind of frustration just made me really want to work on the tools that would make my job easier or the jobs of all the programmers out there. So that got me interested more on the developing uh, tools side. So sometime after that, I, I felt so motivated to do that. And uh, I had all these ideas. I wanted to try them out. So I started working on this experimental project called Conception. And uh, I really wanted to try some crazy ideas. Like, you know, I was thinking, why is it that source code is text files? Like, that is so backwards. It should be something more sophisticated. So I tried to put those ideas to the test. And for about a year after that, I worked exclusively on this project. And it was a lot of fun. It was very interesting. And I tried a lot of experimental ideas. And at the end of that year, I actually submitted it to a conference. Well, it was a competition. Uh, live 2013. And I ended up winning first prize. So that was pretty cool. So what kind of happened after that is that, you know, this project got a lot of visibility and publicity and it kind of helped me uh, get my first job in San Francisco, which was a place that I really wanted to, you know, end up or go to, uh, to work sometime. Uh, so I'm from Toronto right now. And yeah, San Francisco, it's always been a dream to, to go and work there because I knew it's the like, You know, one of the best places for technology its where all the startups are, all the big companies and lots of things are happening there. So it's kind of like just a dream to go there. So um, I ended up getting a job. And um, so I ended up working uh, first at Trigget. It was a startup where we did some real time advertising and uh, real time bidding and advertising, things like that. And so this was a company that was just getting into uh, using Go. So one of the reasons they hired me is because I was good with C++ and Go. So I thought that you know this is a great place for me to kind of like you know practice both languages and help them kind of convert a lot of things they were doing from many languages to um, you know they had a lot of success with Go, so they started to push it to more and more projects. So after that, I worked at another company, Sourcegraph. So that one uh, you may have heard of it. It's uh, you know, we're, we're building tools for developers, and it's kind of famous in the Go community because of doing the live streaming or uh, GopherCon and so on. So this was a very different environment where there's a lot more open source. I was actually working on developer tools, so this was a lot of fun. But, you know, in the course of uh, working in San Francisco for those three years, I was kind of always uh, saving up towards this uh, future dream of being able to just work on open source full time. So, that was my uh, kind of dream of what I wanted to try next. Because, you know, it's, it's one thing when you have your weekends, maybe an hour or two on weekdays to uh, contribute to open source and a whole different story if you actually have, like, your full time available to do it. And, you know, because I became such a big fan of working with Go, uh, I wanted to basically do more of that. So this, this actually happened. And... Um, Yeah, I ended up starting this um, beginning of this year, like end of last year, and I kind of transitioned, like I left my job there and came back to Toronto and started doing this thing of kind of working full-time on open source code.
2: That is fantastic. That
0: is, that's really awesome.
2: I was going to ask you if you were being self-funded or funded by a company, but it sounds like you're being self-funded, right?
0: I am self-funded, yeah. So um, it's basically uh, my savings that I was uh, working on uh, saving towards this goal, and that's kind of what's funding this year. And of course, as I you know earn some money and then add to that, I can continue to do this a bit more. But like right now, I don't have uh, a concrete idea about next year. We'll see how that goes. But this year, it's definitely yeah.
2: And you have a ton of experience, so I am assuming the break that you're taking to do to work on the open source projects that you want to work on is not so you can acquire more skills so i'm wondering what your end game is are you trying to just take a mental break and work on the projects you want and maybe finish finish some or take them to a higher level are you you don't have an end game or are you preparing yourself for your next step what is it
0: uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so I, I definitely have an end game, and it's more of a, you know, sort of intermediate, one step at a time uh, kind of plan, rather than uh, a complete vision for where I want to be. But uh, essentially, I can say that I'm just building and working on the things that I really want to exist that don't really exist yet. So I'm just kind of, uh, you know, filling uh, my own desires of, like, you know, some tooling or some things in the go. Uh, ecosystem that I think, you know, would be awesome to have, but they don't necessarily exist or they're not finished. So I just basically work on making the things that I want to see happen. That is the main motivation. And of course, you know, I want to maintain my skills and always learn uh, new things, get better, but it is mostly about just making things that, that I want to see happen.
2: Awesome.
3: That is really cool. I think we need to go back and talk about conception for a little bit because that stuff was out there. Way out there. Tell us, you know, since this is a podcast and we can't see it, tell us um, what conception was and what you were trying to accomplish.
0: Absolutely. So the, uh, the original project was actually started in C++. And back then I was really into IDEs and I wanted them to become a little bit more visual. And also I wanted them to kind of help you more with the refactoring. So again, when I started, C++ was the language that I had in mind as what I wanted to use. And I just saw that there are all these opportunities to make it easier to develop in C++. But essentially what happened is that as I started to work on the project, um, I kind of discovered Go. Like That's like somewhere at the beginning of that, uh, in the middle of the first year of working on that project, I saw that, hey, there's this cool language called Go. Uh, let me try it for... The, the problem that I was solving at the time was I needed to start some, uh, you know, binaries, basically shell out, run some commands. And in C++, this was, at the time, really difficult. Like, it was probably 80 lines of non-portable, really hacky and, you know, error-prone code Like, that kind of worked, but you just knew that this is not right. It would probably fail, like, if you... You know, if something happened. And it was so long that you know, it was really hard to read the code. So when I tried Go, I, I found the OS exec package and I was just really, really <laughs> impressed with what I saw there. So then I started to use Go for more things and very quickly conception ended up being, um, you know, supposed to be at least an a- IDE for working on Go code. So it, it, it stepped away from C++, but the way to describe it, and it's definitely best to see, uh, there's a, like a five minute video that I made that describes like, basically everything I've done in those one, one and a half years, in five minutes. So think of it as a 2D canvas, like a really large, maybe infinitely sized canvas that you have a viewport into. And on this canvas, you had uh, what would I called widgets at the time. And the widgets could be basically anything, uh, but most of it would be things like uh, maybe a file, a Go file, for example. Another widget could be a Go run widget, which would take a file widget and run it, and I present the output. But then you can also connect other widgets on top of that. So like you'd have a diff widget, so you could connect that to the output of a program and then maybe diff it against the output that you wanted to produce. So the idea was that everything was alive, and as you'd make a change or change the code or change a connection between the widgets, it would update everything automatically. Like There would be no having to press buttons to make that happen. So as a result, you kind of uh, create things and just keep working. And then whenever you had a question about the problem you were working on and you wanted to get some visibility into it, hopefully there was a widget that could help you get, get that you know, answer. Or if not, you could create it. Well, at least I was creating them at the time. And that's kind of uh, how it went. And given that it was an experimental project, one of the biggest uh, benefits for me or the learnings that I've done was... Uh, to gain understanding for why things are done the way they are in so many ways and why seemingly bad or outdated practices like using text files that you know you would think well this was done in the 70s like it's got to be because computers back then weren't so powerful well not really there's many ways that existing systems are really really good and people tend to like not really appreciate it not really understand it but when you try to create a system to beat uh, what exists that is a great way of like finding why it works so well. So a lot of it was learning about the strengths of, you know, some of the ways that we use uh, comp- compilers and code editors and so on in ways that they're actually really good. So, you know, armed with that knowledge, I can then do like the next things that I could do would be obviously better.
3: It was absolutely mind blowing for me when I first saw the the demos. So congratulations on thinking outside the box and and,
0: working through
3: uh, different concepts and ideas for code editing. Cause it, it really was uh, just amazing to see that first time.
0: Oh yeah. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And that's, that's kind of what I was hoping to do is just try to create something that would be really cool. And that would you know, make uh, a lot of sense when you see it, but it's definitely, it's not easy, but the things that do work well, it's, it's always great to see it. So, you know, if I can inspire people, that's, that's an awesome thing as well.
3: The good news is, um, I think of two things when I think of your name. The first is conception and how awesome that is. And the second is, isn't that the guy that put packages in gists in GitHub?
0: <laughs> so I knew that that was going to come up, so, but I can't ever escape that. No, you can't. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. I, I'd like to cover that. Uh, so just upfront, I will say that I have deleted the very last gist, <laughs> I believe in 2015. <laughs> so awesome. from that point forward, the only gists that still exist are, you know, people's old code, maybe they've copied it or forked it or rendered it or whatever, and so on. Like none of my code has gists anymore, but yes, I did that. And again, that was um, an experiment that I ran. So when I was doing it, I was kind of well aware of the downsides of it. Well, you know, maybe more so after some time. But it was a thing that I wanted to try because there were also advantages to putting some code in Gist. Because uh, imagine you want to have a function shared between two projects. And you want to do this like, you know, in maybe a minute and a half. Like you don't have time to go through the whole process of creating a new Go package and, you know, making it really nice. Like you just want to do this really, really quickly. So like Gist was perfect for that. And what actually made it work is that I had a widget in conception that you know I could just pr- press a button and whatever I pasted into a box would automatically become a, a GIST. It would put it into my guild path. Like it would do everything in one button press. So that is the reason why it was kind of efficient uh, to create a lot of codes for sharing between projects at the time. But over time, I saw that it's, you know, it's great for the initial prototyping. It is not good for maintenance. It's bad that the GISTs have like numbers as the package <laughs> name. So it is not a good practice. And over time I refactored all the code that I needed to have like really idiomatic, nice package names. And, you know, it'd be the kind of code that, you know, people should say, yeah, this is uh, something I could actually import in my project. So yes, they did exist then, they no longer do exist. And if you see them, please delete them.
3: <laughs> I think you should wear it with pride. Why not? I do, yeah. Why not?
2: I- I want us now to take a moment and discuss if it's gist or gist. No I, I, no, I don't. I'm kidding.
3: Then we GIF have to start talking GIF. about gif yep. or gif.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's the same yeah. question. It's, you can't no. do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I say gif and gist. So oh. it cannot be the same.
1: Yeah, I do too. That's yeah, It right? that makes sense.
2: See, let's let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I do want to. Talk about, though, because it's, to me, it seems like such a big deal what you're doing, taking time off and to work on your, on, on your preferred open source projects, the ones that you really want to make sure happen. And I want to, and there's there are so many projects you're involved with, but I do want you to talk to us about your top three, starting from the most important, the ones that you really want to make happen mm-hmm. and why and where are you at? that project and are you getting help how is it far from being completed what is what does completed mean so tell us
0: sure sure so i don't think i have like a very uh kind of a nice um disconnect between the different projects a lot of them are interconnected in some ways and a lot of them are kind of these umbrella projects where there's you know maybe something higher level and lower level But let me say that right now, I think we're in a very, very interesting point in time. So, you know, the the language Go came out relatively recently. Like it has been almost like 10 years now, 10 years. Yeah. But it is relatively new and uh, just maybe a few years back. um, Yeah. On the back end, we had a whole different set of languages that people could choose from. But on the front end... It's always been that JavaScript was kind of the only officially supported language because that's the only language that browsers support. And that has started to change recently. And one of the ways that it has started to change the most, in my opinion, is um, there's, well, there was uh, ASM.js, that technology first. But what is happening now is WebAssembly. So, in my opinion, this is a really awesome and kind of important uh, point in time because it means that hopefully soon more and more people can start to see that there's now the choice of what language you use inside the browser, uh, what kind of technologies you use to develop your front end stuff. And I really want to see GIL play a more important role here because in my opinion, GIL is just a really great language. And I mean that in a general way, like I don't think it's great for making web servers, even though it is, but it's it's great for many things. So. I find that it's great even for doing front-end stuff. And I've been testing that theory for the last two years, I think. And I'm still very, very happy with it. So I'm continuing to push that uh, in that direction. But because of that, I think WebAssembly and Go are important. So that is kind of what I'm thinking about. And that's like one of my top priorities. I want to make that as much of a reality as possible over the next few years.
1: Now, is there anything currently... That's compiling or transpiling to WebAssembly from Go? Is, does go for js do so, that? So
0: the situation right now is that if you want to write your front-end code in Go, you have a really uh, good option, and that for Go4JS. But go for js goes directly from Go code to JavaScript. It has nothing to do with WebAssembly. And the thing about WebAssembly is that it's a very, very efficient, low level kind of bytecode virtual machine, uh, stack machine um kind of language so the idea is that you really want to target that with uh with a powerful compiler so things like clang uh, gcc like those kind of compilers they have a great opportunity to produce WebAssembly code you don't want to do it completely from scratch by hand and so on so what makes go4js do what it uh, does is that you know it's basically completely uh it revolves around go and javascript So if you were to try to add WebAssembly support to Go4JS, you're basically starting from scratch. Uh, There's nothing really in it that helps you accomplish that job. So the way that I think this will happen is that, you know, hopefully maybe the official uh, compiler will sometime in the future be able to target it. uh, Or maybe somebody will work on a separate project. But yeah, Go4JS is not going to help in this sense because it's basically targeting JavaScript and there's no point in trying to make it uh, target something else.
1: So like basically everything you work on, it's kind of like these uh, <laughs> bleeding edge kind of um, thoughts and, <laughs> and concepts because you're, you've also been working on GraphQL stuff for a long time too.
0: Oh so yeah. So uh, GraphQL, it's something that I've somewhat dabbled in <laughs> recently and I'm mostly done with that effort. But what I saw this happen about four months ago, three months ago, um, at that time, uh, GitHub announced that their next uh, version of the API, version four, it's going to use uh, GraphQL. So this is uh, the technology that, like, for anyone who hasn't uh, heard of it yet, it's a technology from Facebook. They've kind of made it for their own APIs because REST wasn't really cutting it, and they wanted to kind of push the envelope. So it's a way of building your, you know, websites, APIs, and then kind of being able to make these really efficient queries that just Give you the exact data you want, and nothing else. So, when GitHub announced that their next API is using this, that's when I saw that like this is actually technology that's now picking up steam, and you know it's kind of more useful to have support for it. And I saw that in Go, uh, there were a couple packages that added the well that the, the implemented the GraphQL uh, server side, so you could have your GraphQL server written in Go, but there was absolutely nothing for the client and. You know, that's when I saw that there was this opportunity to work on a client. And I, I've done a little bit of research and I tried a few things and I saw that, okay, if I spent maybe a couple of weeks, I could have a working client that is, you know, like I saw that there's quite a bit of work, but I could also, I saw that I could do this in that amount of time. And I thought it was worth it like, to make it so that there be a Go client for GraphQL that people can use. And that's sort of uh, where things are right now. I've created it. It has some to do's but it's mostly done and the to do's that can be completed over time so like the basic functionality works and anyone can use it
2: that is pretty cool graphql
1: is pretty cool yeah it's it's one of those technologies that um always seemed really really fascinating and uh i was always looking for the the nail for that hammer you know yeah it was
0: yeah so i was somewhat fortunate in that Very recently, like maybe just two weeks ago, I actually had the chance to use it for real in a project. So, up until that point, I've only been testing it. Like, I've written programs that would just do various things for testing purposes, never really using it uh, to like serve any kind of concrete needs. But, you know, then when I had a chance to actually use it, I was really nice. Like, it was a pleasant experience. Uh, One of the kind of things about it, one of the properties of GraphQL is that it's very type safe. And I, I really enjoy that property of Go. And it was, this was really, really nice to see it here as well. So you have like really great, strong type safety and it just, it makes things like autocomplete, help you a lot more. And the code that you write, you can kind of see that, like this handles all the cases. There's nothing unhandled here. Yeah. It was just awesome to use it. It helped me. <laughs>
2: I know there is at least one episode on a changelog that talks about GraphQL, and I listen to it, and whenever I listen to some, somebody talking about it or I read about it, I want to use it immediately. But then I go <laughs> back to, you know, yeah, good old REST. So <laughs> Just because. I, I really
0: think that GraphQL is, it's a great technology, has a lot of strengths, but it also has some weaknesses that will take time to, uh, for you know, everybody to find ways to deal with. So nobody's going to jump and switch to it like right away this year. It's gonna take many, many years, I think, and people will gradually switch over to it. And it really makes the most sense if you're starting a new project to consider using it then. Like it's not so nice to take an existing one that's already you know, built around RESTful APIs and try to rewrite that or you know, start adding GraphQL. It's not gonna help you as much, but it could. So it's okay if you don't jump on it right away, but because like the more you wait, the more mature it's gonna be when you do use it. But it definitely has some really nice properties compared to REST.
2: And talking about talking about front end stuff because you know so much about it about the space. If uh, sometimes some of applications are basically they need to be a back end. They interfaces with a database, and mm-hmm. it needs a reporting layout on top of it. Is there any Go package that would do that?
0: Um, do you mean when you say reporting? Do you mean like kind of? just render some front end, um, components that visualize like whatever data is on the back end that's being served.
2: Yeah. Something like the equivalent of an Excel front end. Oh,
0: like an Excel front end. I see. Yeah.
2: Not an Excel exactly, but you know, you, you choose fields and then you get a table, like output of data.
0: Well, I can't think of an existing project, uh, off the top of my head like that exactly. I mean, if, if you're really talking about like, you know, uh, database, editing, like a table, editing, um, uh, component. Not editing, or just, code.
2: just outputs, just.
0: Oh, just like visualizing edit. it. I exactly. see. Exactly. Yeah. Do you mean like, do you have some, um, some like database output that you want to visualize this way and yes. you'd want to use it?
2: Yeah. And I might want to filter by, by fields.
0: I see. Yeah. I don't know of an existing solution. <laughs> I think you would have to maybe look for it or maybe just create it yourself, but uh, the thing that does exist right now or, you know, it continues to be developed, it is uh, a project called Vecty. and I think th- this has already come up uh, on some previous episodes, but it's kind of the equivalent of React, but written in Go and really, like, specifically focusing on Go because even though there have been kind of or wrappers around React to make it possible to use that on the front end, there's, you know, a lot of kind of inefficiency in having to map to what they created in React, which was targeting JavaScript specifically. So Vecty tries to do things in a really Go-centered way. And you could totally use Vecty then to create this kind of, uh, you know, some sort of front end. You would still have to build it from the individual, you know, HTML uh, tags and so on, like to visualize all the things you want, but it will let you not worry about having to like uh, re-render some parts of the page as the data changes, like it, it takes care of that, just like React. But yeah, you would, you would have to be the person that works on it or <laughs> something like that. That's one of the disadvantages of, you know, trying to use Go on the front end is that unless somebody else has created it, you probably have to do it yourself. And sometimes you have to like really, uh, you know, kind of make this path uh, that no one has traveled yet before. But that can also be a lot of fun. So it's, it's kind of great if you're looking for that kind of yeah. challenge.
2: Yeah, because other the, the languages that are more mature, they have a bunch of packages that would do things like yeah, that. Yeah, actually, that
0: uh, I saw like an example of that very recently. So there was uh, an npm package you could download, and it's basically like um, a component that visualizes diffs or like patch files. And I was like, "What? You can just npm install that, and like it already exists, and it has all these properties. that You can configure how it displays it. Like that's the kind of uh, <laughs> state that they're at. Like they have." pre-made components for visualizing divs. Uh, yeah, it's kind of just, you know, I thought it was interesting to see that. Whereas I was building something like that myself from scratch because it didn't exist yet.
3: I think we've talked about Bekti a time or two, but it's definitely the, um, the one go JS front end uh, framework that I understand best that it clicks with me the best. I like, yeah. I like Bekti a lot.
2: Do you know
3: any project that uses it, uh, Brian? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I, not off the top of my head, I don't. But oh, I, it's
2: it's easy to search on GitHub. Yeah, I have some. Yeah.
3: I have some GitHub
0: stars or source graph. Of, yeah, source, source graph, graph. There
2: we go. Source graph is the best.
0: Uh, I actually use it in one of my projects. Um, it's called Go Package Store, and it's a project for displaying updates for your Go packages in your Go path. So originally, it was this like really simple um, application. It would basically stream the HTML from the back end. And just the browser ha- displayed it as the as, as the HTML was being served to it. But that that had some uh, disadvantages. Like, there were some things I couldn't do. So I ended up rewriting it uh, so that everything renders on the front end. And I, I, I used uh, Vecti for that. And it works really well in my experience. Like, it, it enabled me to do all that. And, and some things I can do before, like there was a, a feature request to add an update all button. So I guess people, they don't want to click on updating every single Go package individually. They just want to press that update all button and it take care of the rest for them. So now that button exists and Vecti made it super, super easy to implement it. Um, but it's also a package that is kind of in development. So there's still some changes that are being done to it. And they're always looking for ways to improve things or do things better. So it's still, you know, somewhere in its medium, uh, kind of a milestones I'd say, but it's definitely usable. Like you can start using it today and it works well as long as you're willing to update your kids should something change.
3: One of my favorite examples of a Vec the app is the go play space. Oh, it looks like somebody just posted that into our Slack too. That's oh, yeah. github.com slash i a f a n slash go play space altogether and it's a, a like a go playground that has right. lots of extra cool features and it's it's
0: really slick yeah that's a really great example of it
3: so um
1: i'm i started our our timer a little late so i think we've got a time for probably a couple more things and then we can roll into projects and news um one thing i'd like to so uh, at GopherCon, this was kind of discussed, and I saw this morning, too. So for everybody who doesn't know, while, while we're sitting here on this show, Gotham Go is currently going on, and I have FOMO. Lots, but, lots <laughs> of it, yes. So, you know, I saw a couple of posts, uh, especially um, with regard to Steve Francia's talk about kind of like the state of Go. Um, and there's kind of been like everybody's talking about like Go 2 and things like that. What's your take on that? Like, what what would you like to see
0: happen? What would you like to
1: not see happen?
2: That's a great question, Dimitri.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I definitely have, um, you know, a very specific way in which I enjoy using Go. And that's like one of the ways at least. And that's, I appreciate it for its simplicity. And it kind of gives you the really, really well thought out basic building blocks and kind of lets you do the rest. So it, like that really works well with the way that I like to approach things. So. I definitely like the opposite of what I want is go to becoming basically the next JavaScript, completely changing it, uh, adding generics, all these new features. Like I don't want to see new features. Uh, I just want to see stability and, you know, go continue to be simple. And, you know, it can, of course, address things like basically the talk that Russ Cox gave about how they're planning to get to 2.0 sounds amazing to me. So he said that uh, it's not going to be this major jump but rather like they're going to work on everything that has to happen uh, that is still backwards compatible so like the next many years of releases will just be like incremental changes to make 2.0 possible but still be 1.x 1.11 12 and so on
1: yeah i really kind of like that approach like that it was very likely that it could be like well
0: 1.20
1: is now 2.0
0: And it's not like a big, big uh, dramatic change. It's like a smooth transition. So that sounds really awesome. And yeah, I, I think it, there was another talk that Brad Fitzpatrick uh, gave about how like as GIL matures, it kind of becomes asymptotic, asymptotically more uh, boring. But that is a great thing. And he definitely makes a strong argument for it because like the excitement happens at a higher level. Like it's the projects you build, it's the libraries you build, it's how you use GIL, but that's where the excitement is. But GIL itself, like it doesn't need to do more things because one of the, you know, when people think about like why not add these features, why not do this and that, uh, you have to consider all perspectives. And one of the perspectives that is often overlooked it's how this feature will interplay on the tooling. It's how it's going to affect the kind of things you could kind of uh, use GIL for, or how you could maybe generate code, or the kind of questions you can answer about code bases. So. One of the goals of of Go is to be able to create uh, code or projects that scale really, really well. And that scale across complexity of the project, scale as more developers work on that code base. And these are things where, you know, you don't necessarily want all the latest and, you know, fancy features. It's, It's the opposite. Like you just want it to do what it does really well and, you know, continue to scale that way. I think that works really well.
1: So it's actually really interesting because um, I just left um, Velocity and Brendan Burns did a talk and this was Kubernetes focus, but it's along the same lines. You know, he talks about kind of like the evolution of things, right? Like we have a problem, we invent something to solve the problem and it takes a while for that to kind of like stabilize and mature and for patterns to um, evolve from that. And then we build a layer of abstraction on top of it, right? Like first there was machine code then there was assembly and then you know we kind of built C and C++ on top of that and um you know the 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 takeaway from his talk was really um you know that like the way we're building distributed systems even with kubernetes is like doing it in assembly language right but i think that the the point is still kind of the same with go right now is like it doesn't need to be uh fancy and and brand new and all kinds of stuff crammed in there because then it it never matures to a point where we have consistent patterns where we can build that layer of abstraction on top and the innovation always comes from the level of abstraction above right we can build significantly better systems now in languages like go than we ever could in assembly um so yeah kind of to your point like we, we want it to stay fairly stable and like let's figure out the the patterns
0: yeah absolutely. Um. There was um, one of my kind of favorite quotes uh, because I said that like I value simplicity. So there's one quote that I found. It's by Frederick Chopin. He was this uh, Polish pianist from the early 1800s. And he said that simplicity is the final achievement. After one has played a vast quantity of notes and more notes, it is simplicity that emerges as the crowning reward of art. So I I really resonate with that because, uh, you know, it's, when you're working on a project, at first, when you don't quite know what it's going to be or how you're going to achieve it, you end up doing a whole bunch of things and you try to learn about it. And then once you have it finished, that's when you start to understand it better. And then only after all that insight, you can actually maybe simplify it and come up with the final solution, which you couldn't have started with, because like that simplification, it was possible because you understood how things work. So similarly with Go, it's you know many things that it, many of the language, programming language features it has, they're just, they, they seem to be from um, decades ago, but that's because like, it really took all those insights from the languages and the developments that have happened before it and like, applied it very carefully. So that's, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting how that works, but yeah, you don't get to simplicity right away.
3: So I've, I've been reading a lot of code lately that is written in languages that have generics. And I know that it's been said many times that Go was written specifically or designed specifically to be a language that's easy to read and understand. And after dealing with these languages, and I'm not going to mention your names because this isn't a language war thing, but I do really appreciate the fact that Go doesn't have generics because it makes it truly harder to read what's going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I agree with that.
0: I've got um, another example of um, this was a feature request uh, that went uh, into the issue tracker, and I just wanted to share a perspective on like how adding something that seemingly makes your life easier may not do that. So, like the feature question was about being able to like have build tags for test files, so you could have a test file that, or rather, so you could exclude things or include things only when you're testing or not. Right? Like right now, it's just underscore test. That's the only way, but the feature request was about also being able to use build tags and like one of the ways that I really appreciate the current limitation that you cannot use build tags for anything test related is that I know like whenever I'm reading code, I know very well that if I run the you know the real code right now and then if I run the test like it has to be the same thing there's no uh, additional code that can only happen when it's not in test code or not in test mode so like Some of these restrictions, they basically make it easier to read and understand the code and make certain guarantees about it. So it really, it really helps. Like the readability is definitely prioritized. And that's one of the best features of Go, in my opinion, as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I understand that I've worked with languages that did generics, and I understand that makes some things simpler not sure if there are things that can only be achieved with generics. I'm not that knowledgeable, but I am still not convinced that, that would, anything that would be simpler by using generics or easier or shorter to write would trump the readability feature of Go. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a yeah. very personal thing maybe.
0: Well, and we have to keep in mind that in programming languages and in software engineering as a whole, we always have to make compromises. Like you can't have absolutely everything. So you have to make sure that you balance what you have and what you don't have. And sometimes it means like saying no to things. Sometimes it means, you know, not doing what you want because you understand the, like the greater uh, benefit it's, it's worth it. So, you know. We, we have to like, remember the positive side of (laughs) saying no.
3: I think you can have everything. Isn't that what Scala is?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. I mean, actually C++ these days, like all the latest, uh, revisions, the C++ 17 and the later ones, like, it feels like they're really, it's a great example of like what happens when you have everything under the sun in it. Like, sure, you can do all those things, but you know, I wouldn't want to review, uh, that kind of code or like maintain it so you, just, you don't have yeah. everything
2: because you don't have the readability come yeah. on
0: yeah and it, like, go, there's go read so some C++. Plus,
2: it's like you have to like let's look at the header to see what this does and
0: so I, I wanted to measure this so this morning i ran this program uh it measures lines of code and i saw that it's, like i have uh a, more than a hundred thousand lines of go code, uh in Packages that I support daily. So, like, these are packages that if somebody has a bug or if it fails to build or something breaks, I would, within 24 hours, like, respond to that and follow up on it. Like, I feel very comfortable doing that. And there's just no way I could deal with so much code written in, you know, something else where I wouldn't have all these kind of guarantees and the simplicity that Go offers me. Like, I feel like it's that kind of uh, the ability to maintain so much Go codes that is enabled by. Go itself. Yeah. I couldn't have done it otherwise.
2: Yeah. Amen. I think I think uh, lines of code in Go is misleading because I think Go is very. Um, what do I want to say? Dense, vertically dense is what I mm-hmm. want to say. Uh, but what's if you read ten lines of code in Go? There's very little there. It's just that it's very. There's a lot that's happening on a vertical space. But there is not a lot of that's happening in that vertical space. So a hundred lines of Go compared to hundred lines of another language. You know, there's a lot less happening in that hundred lines of coding Go. Yeah. But maybe we're achieving more, I'm not sure, but there's definitely a lot less because there's more going on vertically.
3: No. And that makes it easier to read. Yeah, you can yes. see
0: everything that happens. Like, it's all right in the code in front of you. There's no necessity to, like, jump into. Maybe there's a macro-define or something else. You don't have to jump, or maybe an operator has been overloaded. None of that. You just know that it's exactly what you see.
2: Yes. And you are a a maintainer for the code language, right?
0: Uh, So I'm a, uh, let's see, what's the right uh, word for it? I'm a contributor, I believe. So I contributed to the project. I do have, like, the, you know, hmm. I think reviewer maybe bit, so I can review uh, kill that goes in. But uh, of course, uh, they have it so that th- there's always like a package owner, so that person has to make the final call if a change uh that goes into a certain package goes in or not.
1: So we're probably running short on time a little bit. Um, do we want to jump into kind of projects and news? I know there's one particular news item that we need to make sure we cover. Absolutely, sounds good. Okay, so we should start off with the most important thing, which is uh, there is uh, re- security releases go 1.9.1 and 1.8.4. If you are running 1.9 or 1.8, please update. Um, I think it was like two different security issues, those solved for. Yeah, one of them um, was
3: net SMTP, and the other was a nested Git vulnerability if you tried to check out a go package into another git repository that you could cause a code execution
0: exploit yeah so don't uh go get packages you don't trust until that update yeah. and probably not after either
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you probably shouldn't trust those anyway I, almost every language has that because there's execution that takes place right like if you go install something like you don't have control over it.
0: Right. Okay. actually go i think is better in a sense because when you go get something it only it does the download the checkout and then also maybe it builds it but it doesn't actually run any of that code mm-hmm. until you go test it for example
1: yeah but you could have um like generators and things like that with build right so, that
0: so unless you go generate you wouldn't be executing uh any of their codes
1: uh, I guess that's true, too.
0: So, like, this bug was really the only way to have somebody where uh, you could go get and be compromised. As far as I know, there's no other way to do it.
3: All right. So, interesting projects. So, Skylark was released uh, this week, and that looks interesting because it's a light version of Python, but it's written in Go, and it looks like it's going to be used for Bazel, which is Go's build. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Google's build tool uh, to replace the original version of that scripting tool. And I, now I don't really remember what the Python version is called, but it looks like a really interesting project because it's embeddable in Go. So it could be used nicely for building DSLs, for building configuration languages, etc. cetera. Uh, the original Python version was also called Skylark.
1: In, there was um, a new um, Lua interpreter too that came out. And go, there was. Um, I, I I have to pull up the link. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. But yeah, uh, there was there was a couple of few years ago that I remember using. Um, but yeah, I i had seen something come out where there's a new one.
0: So this one, I think it's targeting Lua five point three, which is one of the more uh, recent versions. And I think the previous ones maybe didn't do that. So like that's the exciting part. Because most people actually want to use the later version.
1: Nobody wants to use old languages.
0: (laughs) Well, they apparently changed a lot between the point releases. So like, it's more like almost like a new major version, actually.
1: Yeah, I actually haven't kept up with Lua too much. It's interesting because like earlier in my career, I used a lot of Lua.
3: Now, not so much. So the question for you is, uh, why did you, oh, somebody already posted the link in our Slack. These guys are on it. Uh, yeah. I was just <laughs> pulling up the link Damn. too. <laughs> so, why did you use a lot of Lua though? What was the thing? What was the problem you were solving with Lua? For me it was scripting inside Nginx with something like OpenResty.
1: Yeah, so there's that, but then there's also things where like you might have in your application where you have some sort of like DSL you need to create um like rules engines or something like that and maybe you don't want to uh have to build your own things so you just kind of support lua so and and i know like video games use it too
0: mm-hmm. yep that's where i've seen it used most but that was a while ago but it was one of the best use cases for it just scripting everywhere
1: it's just super fast to embed in something and give somebody you know close to um a real language to work with yep and there's pretty pretty easy ways to sandbox it where the code they execute doesn't really have access to like
3: the full uh, implementation. Yeah. I would love to see some code examples of a Go application that embeds a Lua scripting mm-hmm. language to do stuff. So that's my open challenge to you internets. Send me an example of that. <laughs> I want to see it. Now I'm going to have to come up with something. Well, you don't have I'll to, think of something. You don't have to make up one. I just want to see a, a real life application. Uh, Not okay. a fake
2: one, Eric. A real one.
0: If they exist.
1: All right. Um, so another cool um tool that I saw come out, I'm I'm guessing the name is called Collie. The dog. Um, it's GitHub.com slash ASCI moo slash C O L L Y. And it's like a web scraping uh utility written in Go. And you can kind of visit links and things like that. Um so that looks really cool because a lot of people have been using like Python for this. There's like some good tools like um called scapey or Scrapy or, or something like that is a tool that's used there's a there's another one that's uh really common for doing web scraping so i wonder whether we're going to get like some um like capybaras and things like that built on top of it mm-hmm. that'd be cool so um aside from that i and in full disclosure i have not watched this full video yet um i've been traveling a bunch um but Tyler Treat did a talk at Strange Loop titled, So You Want to Go Fast. And uh, that was actually pretty interesting, getting into kind of tail latency and things of that nature. Um, we will drop a link to that video in the show notes. That's worth a watch, at least to the point that I've watched it so far.
3: Yeah, I, I'm the same. I watched some of it, and it looked really good. Definitely gonna watch it. I have Definitely not, not, watch I, have, have not he's, watched he's all of it. He's super
1: smart, so I, I, I assume the rest of it is also
3: good. Yeah based on his historical blog posts and other talks that it, it's probably guaranteed to be a great presentation. So you won't do yourself any harm by watching it
1: too much travel. And see, I just want to drop the link in the channel and Florence already on it. Yeah. But what does everybody even need us for anymore? Frickin Florence. <laughs> All right. So let's roll into free software Friday. Does anybody have
3: uh, anybody they want to give shout outs to this week? I do. All right, let's hear it. So I decided I was going to finally learn Tmux and I've been resisting Tmux forever because it just annoys me that there's one more layer of things on top of the things that I already have to remember in Vim. So I've been avoiding it, but I found, and i I'll, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. I'll spell it B-Y-O-B-U by Dustin Kirkland. And it's a pretty wrapper on top of either Tmux or screen. And it's pretty nice, you know, just a handful of uh, keyboard commands that you really need to remember as opposed to the billion crazy Tmux combinations. So um, I'm all about that.
2: Let us know how that went. (laughs) What's that? Let us know how it went. I will. I want to give a shout out to go to. Go examples. How do I say this in the right way? The ability to write examples in Go. That is uh, the, Yeah.
1: As know, part of the documentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the Guild You Doc can feature. write tests
2: and you can write examples, which actually I actually only found out a couple months ago. And it makes me so warm and fuzzy inside. It's one of those things. I I'm in absolute love with it. And today. I got to write my first one, and I think I'm going to be obsessed about it. Nice. <laughs> that
3: is Oh awesome. my gosh. I,
0: it's a great feature.
1: I absolutely love them because they ensure that it always runs, mm-hmm.
3: right? Like, and
2: it runs. I love that. I love it. And
3: they're tests. That's the best part. They're tests. So if your examples don't pass, your tests don't pass.
0: Yes. Yep. Yeah. And you end up
3: basically breaking the build if you break the API.
1: Your examples don't match anymore. Yep.
2: And it's so helpful for people um, who don't know your code base. They, oh, this, like you can, you can, just, you can populate a, ty- uh, one, a type and run and, and the output is right there. You're, I mean, you don't even need to run. It's just right there on the file. So cool.
1: We, we should look up who implemented that just so we can give them a huge shout out.
2: Yes. Whoever you are, you're Props. amazing. You know, Thank you.
3: Odds are pretty good it was Brad all the outside the box stuff in the go team comes from brad let's be honest <clears throat> you can quote me on that on twitter go ahead it's okay he's on parental leave right
0: now yeah you can tell he's missing there's it's kind of <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> he's not around
3: it's so quiet well, well he, i can tell at least he he was the one that uh pushed for the patch release for the security update that probably wasn't going to happen if he hadn't pushed it too hard So even on paternity leave, even with a newborn, Brad's take care of business. Shout out to Brad. Yep. Shout out to baby. We like
0: baby gophers. Always. And you know, he's uh, growing up surrounded by tons and tons of gophers. (laughs) It's kind of
1: awesome. Yeah, my household has so many gopher things in it. It's not even funny. (laughs) People have to think we're like the oddest family
0: ever. (laughs) Well, now I feel uh, pretty good because I've got a bunch of them too. What
1: is their obsession with cartoon gophers? I don't get it. <laughs>
0: um, I've got a project in mind. Awesome. So uh, this is Gopher CI by Bradley Falzon. So he made this kind of continuous code quality uh, CI system of sorts, and it's specifically for GIL. So it will run a bunch of the static code analysis GIL tools like Static Check, um, GIL Vet, go Simple uh all the ones that are made by the community and of course the official ones and the idea is that it's very very simple to use you just it's easier to use than travis ci for example mm-hmm. so you basically um enable it for your github username and then all your go projects will start to benefit from it so when when you push um a pull request or somebody else makes one uh if there are any issues found by those tools it will kind of leave a comment and let you know So uh, Bradley Thousand worked on creating this, and he's developing it further, and it's just a really awesome Go project. So I'm really glad that it exists, and thanks to him for making it.
3: Yeah, it's crazy cheap, and we got to give a shout out to all the Gophers down under. So uh, down where the toilet's flush in the other direction. Thanks, Bradley.
0: (laughs) And I'm also a huge fan of the fact that uh, he made the project open source, so even though so basically, the way it works is: if you want to run it yourself, you can just do that. It's open source; download the code, put it on your server, and run it. But if you want uh, the convenience of having a hosted version run your code, you pay the you know four dollars a month for the personal uh, version or something like that, and then you don't have to do it yourself. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and it's it's evolved quite a bit, and um, we actually have him on the list of people we're going to try to tap to get on the show too. Very cool. Nice. To talk about it.
0: So. Yeah, so I watch the repository where he develops the new features and like it's just really cool to see the things that are happening and you know he makes all the codes really high quality before merging it. So it's great to be able to see that.
1: So for mine, I uh, I don't have anything new that people haven't heard of before, but it's, it's new to me. So I'm going to give a, a shout out to VS Code and Ramya and all the people who contribute to the Go plugin. Because I promised her when we had her on the show just before GopherCon that I would give VS uh, Code like a solid go because I've been a Vim user for so long. And the uh, past couple of weeks, I've been using that kind of exclusively for both kind of like blogging and writing code. And it's it's pretty sweet. I'm undecided if I'll stay because I still I, I, I have withdrawals from them. But hmm. if. If I left them for anything, it would probably be VS Code. So did anybody have any more shout outs or do we want to
0: wrap this thing up? Mm,
2: I think we're done. I,
0: I can do one more quick one. Yeah. So this is more for a open source contributor. So this will be to Glenn Lewis. So he helps a lot with the Go GitHub Go package. It's the Go client for GitHub's API. And he basically makes sure that like the PRs get reviewed and merged and like without him, I'm not sure what that project would do. So huge thanks for all his work. That's Glenn Lewis. Awesome.
2: So Dimitri, just please add a, add a link to Oh yeah. First. good idea. Thanks.
1: And we'll we'll make sure to get the, all this stuff in that we mentioned into the show notes. Um so I think with that we're we're probably about out of time. So we're gonna wrap the official show up and then you know, as always, we might hang out and uh, take some questions from the live listeners. Uh, so if you happen to be around at 3 p.m. on Thursdays, Eastern Time, uh, and you join us in the Slack channel, you get to kind of interact with us before and after the show. Um, so with that, thanks, everybody, for being on the show. Huge thank you to Dimitri for coming on and bearing with us through all of the delays and rescheduling and reworking the way we record episodes temporarily. <laughs>
0: Hey, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming, Dimitri.
1: So um, you can find us on Twitter at gotime.fm or gotime.fm online. Um, If you want to be on a show or have suggestions for guests or topics, um, the best way to do that is file an issue on our GitHub repo, which is github.com slash gotime.fm slash ping. And with that, uh, bye, everybody. We'll see you next week.
0: Bye. Bye. This was a great show. Bye. All right. That's it for this episode of Go Time. Tune in live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelog.com/slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelog.com/slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Go FM. Special thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. Also, Linode, we host everything we do on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog changelog. GoTime is edited by Jonathan Youngblood, and the theme music for GoTime is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.